So the Canadian says, who is this movie made for? Well, again, not you two. You wanted more about what Jeff's life was like as a teenager? Honestly, for that movie, watch Running on Empty. That's all it does. That's why it got an Oscar or whatever, because it's dramatic. It's melodramatic. Big time. What's up, spy nerds? It's Film Grouch. Rick Swift here with the Film Grouch Show. Uh, it's been a while since I've recorded anything for the podcast. And uh, as it happens, I've been absorbing a lot of podcasts and listening to a lot of podcasts recently instead of creating new podcasts myself. I do still co-host occasionally on the Faking Star Wars radio as Team Rontor, so you can check that out if you're into Star Wars. Um, but I listen to this podcast called spy harder um really into spy stuff and spy movies and things of that nature and i have been listening to a few of their episodes i really enjoyed their argo episode um but i listened to their little nikita episode recently and i wanted to actually offer an official rebuttal podcast so this is my official rebuttal podcast to the spy harders cast uh you have a british gentleman and a canadian gentleman and I just felt that Little Nikita wasn't really made for them. It was made for me. I loved spy stuff and um, grew up in the 80s. I was uh, 14 years old in 1988. And, you know, big Red Dawn. Red Dawn is my favorite movie. So that should, uh, you know, inform you as to who I am as a person. Whatever <laughs> good, bad, or ugly that says about me, it doesn't really matter. Uh, there was a lot of talk about who this movie was for, who Little Nikita was for, and the tone, and little things that I think that they didn't quite get about the military um, community, especially in 1988. Um, so I just wanted to record a quick, somewhat quick, uh, rebuttal about why I felt Little Nikita deserved a little bit higher mark than what they gave it. I don't necessarily think it would um, fit in their knock list, as they call it, um, which are like uh, the best spy movies and definitely deserve to be held onto that echelon. But I also kind of poke fun at what their knock list actually does contain, uh, some questionable content there. So I don't know if little Nikita would want to be there. But anyway, so I just wanted to give you a quick introduction and say that what you're about to listen to is my notes as I was listening to the podcast. I listened to it twice. Um, the first time I listened to it was when I decided I was going to actually make this rebuttal. I was tweeting at them while I was listening to it. Um, my advice for listening to this podcast, before you listen to this podcast, watch Little Nikita, listen to the Spy Hard, um, Spy Hard podcast about Little Nikita, then listen to my rebuttal, and then uh, maybe weigh in on your own. You, know, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Film Grouch. Um, and you can find them also on Twitter. And I'd like to hear what you think. If you, are, if you are a fan of Little Nikita, I would love to hear what you think of my rebuttal response to their podcast. 
and see if maybe maybe I'm wrong. I I didn't I don't I don't think that the tone what I saw in the movie was what they got out of the movie. So it's kind of like a, a tale of two two podcasters, right? Uh, to two people that are watching the same movie and getting completely different things out of it. So that's uh, the quick introduction to my rebuttal. This is the first time I've ever done anything like this. So if you like it or hate it or whatever, I'd love to hear any kind of feedback and see if there's any any podcasts out there that you want me to do any other rebuttals to, if you like that. All right. Thank you very much. And on to the show. First off, my credentials. Total Pogue wannabe James Bond Marine who scored a J2X, that's counterintelligence position during the Kosovo War. Uh, I was overt only, but I did work with some interesting characters, pun intended. Anyway, I've been on the receiving end of recruitment at least once, and I've had my toes in the shallow water of espionage, enough that the King of Norway and Wesley Clark knew my name for a bit. Uh, Pretty much, who the fuck is Corporal Swift? Uh, Anyway, so by NATO intel standards, I would be a C1 source. Uh, end of the day, though, I didn't stick with it, and I was never formally trained by the Corps or NATO, but I worked enough with peripheral elements that I have a decent understanding of context, subtlety, and satire within Little Nikita that I feel might have been lost on the spy harders. So to this day, I feel I'm on some radars, both friendly and foreign, as a little movie I worked on in California had a Russian, an FBI agent, and other foreign characters, no pun here, on set. I've always been fascinated with spies, which is what led me to the Spy Hearts podcast in the first place. At one point on Twitter, I know I mentioned that Little Nikita is one of my favorite spy films, so to hear they didn't like it was a bit of a letdown. But I always say that what I like, you don't have to like, and vice versa, etc., whatever. But I would be remiss if I didn't provide a formal rebuttal of their review, as I feel they lack important American 80s kid nuance. First, this was the first time I had heard of sleeper agents, uh, you know, with Little Nikita, that I can recall anyway, like a whole family cell living as Americans, raising a family and all that. So I thought it was intriguing from that perspective. I mean, this was 1988 when I first uh, watched the movie. I was 14 at the time. So I'm a huge River Phoenix fan. I was beyond devastated when he died. I heard heard rumors he was going to be in a new series of films as young Indiana Jones. And obviously it never happened. Um, But I've loved him ever since Explorers. And now and and how you how how you both of you have neither seen uh stand by me that's just boggles my mind um but running on empty is basically a sister piece to this film there's a lot of parallels um without giving anything away in running on empty it is about a kid who finds out or deals with the fact that his parents are on the other side of the law Yes, mentioning sneakers, while technically interesting, it just has too many characters. It's like Spider-Man 3. There's just too many villains. There's too many people going on, and I don't really know who the the lead is in the movie, and it just gets to be a a mess. I mean, I guess it's, what, Robert Redford, or whoever that is. Uh, Yeah, Robert Redford. So it's interesting to me that you snore at the letterbox synopsis for this movie. But, I mean, at least it wasn't Tinker Taylor, Soldier Spy, which, oh my god, that movie. Talk about a snooze fest. Le Carre, or whatever, Le Cars, Le, Le, Le Cares, Le Who Gives a Crap, has pulled the biggest disinformation campaign of his career. 
He's basically tricked everyone into thinking he writes compelling, engaging spy stories. While they might be authentic, they are boring. Now I have to look into Jeff Quest. I think I follow him on Twitter, if it's who I think it is. I'm glad to hear that he's a big fan of Little Nikita, and that I'm not alone. So I heard one of you say that you really had no connection to this film. And I agree. I mean, I agree with you there. It's an American story, really. Not sure if a Brit and a Canadian can connect with a Red Scare film from the 80s. Not on the level that I would have, anyway. Again, this was the first Poitier, Poitier, I will say his name correctly, Sidney Poitier. Again, this was the first Poitier film that I actually watched from start to finish. I mentioned that on Twitter. Uh, so for me, it was my true introduction to the actor. Oh, I just found out he was born in Miami. Did not know that. So that's pretty cool. Oh, by the way, Richard Benjamin also directed The Pentagon Wars, a movie you should definitely check out. Trust me on this. It's not a spy movie, but it does talk about the military-industrial complex and has some great campy acting with uh, Carrie Elways and Kelsey Grammer. Also, can we talk about all the Richards in this movie? Wow, a lot of Richards. I was getting confused on if it was Richard Benjamin, Richard... Jenkins, Richard, whatever. There's like so many Richards, which is not a bad thing. You can never have too many Ricks, right? Uh, let me just say, I am so glad they didn't make this a comedy. I I, I don't even want to know what that would have looked I mean, it would have been like Top Secret or uh, The Amateurs or whatever it was with uh, John Travolta. They, they made that, those movies. You know, that's fine. I'm glad this movie was as serious as it could be. Which I thought was interesting that you thought there was a lot of goofiness and cheesiness in it. Again, in 1988, I don't think it was it, it, it was like that. I don't think it was cheesy at all. I'll get into that. So it's interesting that River's agent loved the script and River didn't like how the Russians were portrayed. I'll agree, they were very stereotypical. But again, Soviets, bad. FBI, good, right? Well, things have changed. So the budget was 15 mil, and it only made 1.73 million in the box office. That's proof to me that box office alone doesn't mean anything to determine a good movie. It's kind of like now with the Rotten Tomatoes, right? The fruit without identity crisis. You get all these certified critics who love a movie, and then the audience is like, this is garbage, and vice versa. So it's like, you, you can't look at box office alone. There's a lot of factors that go into it. And like you said, marketing and PR they are huge factors in what drives success. And you can ask me how I know that because I've been on the receiving end of many marketing and PR campaigns where you can tell that um, the studio is backing something and when the studio is not backing something. I kind of think maybe a lot of people might have gotten confused actually with Running on Empty in this movie um, because there were a lot of parallels, like I said. And um, you know, a muddled kind of marketing thing would have, uh, like, uh, you know, saturated the market with River Phoenix and confused people. Um, I, I watched this, uh, I think, on either HBO or Showtime or whatever when it came out on cable. And to me, I think that was probably the, the preferred way of watching it. I don't think it's a big screen type movie. There's not a lot of action in it, and there's not a lot of excitement, you know. You know, like, like a real spy story. But we'll get into that. So... The Brit, I just have that in my notes. The Brit says, the Canadian says, because I have a hard time keeping up with the name sometimes, I do apologize. But the Brit 
you said you didn't like the film. The plot is too preposterous. Uh, hello, unlike tons of other spy movies, I mean, how many James Bond movies are not the most preposterous notions that you've ever heard of in your life? You know, guy, it's usually some rich guy who wants to depopulate the entire globe and either wants us to live in space or underwater, whatever, whatever. You say the film isn't smart. It's a bit stupid. It, well, it was made for teenagers. It was made for me, honestly. It was made for the Red Dawn fans of, you know, of the 80s, you know? It was made for teenagers. And again, River was a heartthrob at the time. So this was kind of a spy thriller vehicle for teens, is the way I look at it. It, it brought me more into like a relatable spy story as opposed to James Bond. So you say enjoyable simplicity. Like, that's a bad thing? Again, what the hell is James Bond if not an enjoyable simplicity? So, I consider this a more kind of mature cloak and dagger. Again, which I grew up watching and loving. A continuation, if you will. Kind of a an aging along with the cloak and dagger crowd. You know, uh, Lady Ace, Lady Ace. And then you get into more lethal concepts of the spy game and there's somebody and there's somebody dies i think in cloak and dagger but you know it's a lot more kid friendly this is not for kids though so the canadian says who was this maybe who was this movie made for well again not you two you wanted more about what jeff's life was like as a teenager honestly for that movie watch running on empty that's all it does that's why it got an oscar or whatever because you know it's dramatic. It's melodramatic. Um, big time. So I have a major rebuttal here. I completely disagree that the scuba killings are silly and made for young people. I mean, it isn't like Hudson Hawk or anything that ridiculous. I mean, the movie starts off with scuba wasting an IRS agent at the track. So... That goes against the whole, like, by the water thing. You know, there was nobody by the... It wasn't by the water. I'll get into why I think he was called Scuba in a second. So I'll grant you that we could have seen more graphic killings and given us a PG-13, but again, this was made to let younger audiences watch it. But it wasn't like it was for kids. Like, Star Wars? <laughs> My understanding of his name, Scuba, is because he went under for decades, and only Roy is worried about him res resurfacing. And when he does, he can avenge his partner. That's when Roy can avenge the death of his partner. Because remember, Roy named him Scuba. His name was, oh God, uh, Conan or uh, something like that. I have it in my notes. Stand by. Cannon. Yeah, it was Cannon. His name was Cannon. But they, uh, Roy named him Scuba. And he, he, we never understand why Roy names him Scuba. It's never explained. I think it's left up for our imagination. So you say, the Canadian, you say, as a kid, I don't think it would be much fun to watch the Roy and Jeff stuff. Well, yeah, not everything is meant to be fun. Some moments are serious, but thank God we didn't get more of the relationship stuff with him and his friends or girlfriend, or the movie would not be as tight as tight paced as it was. And I like that things move along well and stay focused, mostly on the leads, apart from the inexplicable guidance counselor stuff, which was kind of tacked on and pointless. I, I mean, yeah. Thread of Divine, great. You'd have to 
pause this is before people could like pause movies without getting those bars on them you remember that when you'd have to pause a vhs tape and you get those gray bars you'd have to time where the gray bars would land if you really wanted to see anything of loretta uh, divine so i mean nowadays that's not a problem but when they made the movie they weren't probably thinking into the 21st century okay this point I don't know why you guys went on this a bunch of times, but I'm going to mention it. So joining the Air Force sign-up thing, we're going to talk about that. But joining the Air Force thing was definitely weird. It was bizarre. He jumps off of the float, and he signs the application, and he hands it to his friend. That was totally weird. It was like the writers were like, oh, we have to show him signing up for the Air Force. I 100% agree with you. That made no sense to me. That is not how somebody signs up to go into the Air Force Academy. Unless it was some kind of weird, I don't know. He was showing that he was nervous about it, but he was trying to be nonchalant about it. And it was like a surprise. Like he did say, he definitely surprised his parents. I'll give you that. And I, oh yeah, I also caught that uh, Wings poster with Clara Bow. Uh, but to me, and this is River Phoenix, right? This was what made him cool and edgy at the time. He also had some F-18s above his bed. So, you know, he had a little bit of a balance going on. Also, I wanted to talk about the parallels to Iron Eagle here. You have a kid who's joining the Air Force. Pretty similar in that res in, in that respect. Um, you know, you could say again, this is a coming of an age, a coming of age story about a kid who is coming of age, and he finds out a horrible thing about his parents. Well, in Iron Eagle. He's coming of age. He joins the Air Force, and he finds out that his dad's been, you know, kidnapped by the, the bad guys. Let's just call it that. Also, I've mentioned this many times on Twitter, but it really does bug me that I can't remember what the hell I had on my walls as a kid. It really does. I don't remember. I know I was into like guns and jets and hot women and stuff like that, and uh, some hair bands. Like I might have had. I don't even know though. I know from some air shows that I definitely had some F4 Phantoms. And, uh, I mean, I had models and things like that. Like, you know, model models, not hot girl models. <laughs> but, like, 148 scale airplane models. So, I probably had that kind of stuff up on my wall. I had, you know, I had all sorts of weird stuff on my wall. But I can't remember, which really sucks. Uh, you, The Canadian said you liked it more. You liked the actors. It was not the most elegantly assembled movie. And then the brick goes on to say, it goes off in random directions. It goes on about the, you go on about the flirting with the counselor stuff. And I'll, I'll admit, that was weird. I think that was to try and show that he was trying to, I don't know, show him as a, a human and not just some FBI nerd. I don't know. I'll agree with you there. That was definitely some odd, there was some odd choices with the whole Loretta Divine character and where they were going with that. Although it was really funny when she's like, should I just send a, you know, my boobs to like everybody in the high school. <laughs> that was kind of funny. Um, the Canadian says at the scene where at the drive-in and then your comment kind of just went nowhere. I thought what you're going to say is it was random how he is talking to his girlfriend about, you know, like, Oh, Hey, I'm about to go into the air force and, you know, move on with my life. And she's just kind of like, oh, we don't have to talk about it. Hey, here's a cheeseburger. That's like all you need of that scene, right? Because <laughs> like you said, they don't get into the angst or the relationships at all, which again, I think was a good choice because it kept everything on, you know, stay on target, stay on target, right? You guys use Star Trek references? I use Star Wars references. 
I love them both. Don't get me wrong. I actually did have William Shatner tweet at me a month ago. So uh, positively, by the way, not, not in a negative way. Um, but yeah, I, I will bring in Star Wars as much as you guys probably bring in Star Trek. So they respect the both, right? But again, to me, you completely lose out on mentioning the Americans. Ever heard of it? Or Black Widow. Um, both of these stories owe a bit of allegiance to me, to little Nikita. So it's like the same basic premise, right? The Americans is about a sleeper family who has kids and, you know, they're like a normal family in America, but they're, they're Russian spies. And then Black Widow, if you haven't seen the movie, I don't want to give too much away, but, um, yeah, same, same premise. (laughs) And I appreciate when you mentioned the thing about bad movies, um, how bad movies should be remade and leave good movies alone. I don't remember what you said here, if this should ever be remade. I don't, I don't think that you said it should or it shouldn't, but I just wanted to give you credit for bringing that up. I did a whole skit that we, uh, we worked on with Tactical Girl and uh, Terrence Williams where we did a whole bit about like, how bad movies should you know, never, make, never remake good movies, right? Um, I don't know. Would, if you had to recast Little Nikita, it would be interesting to see how one how it would look right because like everything is like so low tech compared to today like the the dot matrix printer and it shows his face and then the the computer showing like a pretty high res graphic of the kid's face in 1988 that was not state of the art but it wasn't like everybody could could pull that up on their computer um you mentioned spy kids a couple times i never saw it and i probably never will um speaking of silly spy movies so here we go this is where i was talking about you guys mentioned this quite a bit and i apologize if i go on to it a little too much but the whole thing of why the fbi is doing the investigation for the academy thing i know for certain jobs and certain clearances the different agencies do farm out the background investigations i've had the pleasure i guess of speaking to quite a few of them some were fbi some were other agencies but these are all for Marine or Army people that I know, you know, where you had that. There was one who was like this little old lady. She looked like a librarian. And she showed me her ID. I don't even remember what agency it was. It wasn't FBI. It was for a Marine that was going into Border Patrol. And she was like, I'm with the investigative office, blah, blah, blah. You never in a million years would have thought this woman was in, in any agency doing background investigations. Very unassuming. So to me, it's kind of like a dead issue. But then you guys bring it up like a couple times. So uh, this, oddly enough, was why I decided to do this whole rebuttal thing. Because I felt like you guys didn't get that. Um, that that the FBI might do an investigation like that. And okay, when you, when you realize that about the FBI doing the investigation, it changes the, the tone because... Typically, an FBI or whoever does an investigation, they'll you know put the recommendation in, approve, don't approve, whatever. But he is doing this whole secret, um, you know, thing where he's looking for scuba, right? The guy who killed his partner, and then his boss is all like, "Well, you got to do it off the books," which is stupid. I agree. That, but that that's the '80s, right? And I'll mention that again. So to me, he doesn't have a life, right? Roy, Roy doesn't have a life because he's obsessed with finding his partner's killer for like 20 years. And as far as the working alone and late late at night, eh, I don't know. I, I think that was just, uh, you know, because of production issues or something like that where they had to show him 
or I don't know, maybe they're just trying to show that he was like super dedicated. Either way. So the Canadian says there's a lot of weird things with the way they write adults with kids in this movie. So I'll get into it then. Okay, so I'll have to dissect this a little bit more. So it's boring paperwork, right? He saves it for night because he hates doing it. It takes time and maybe he can't parse it out to his staff due to the compartmentalized nature of the work. I don't know. I definitely did not get creepy vibes though from the scene at all. I just looked at it like a weird time management choice. Again, I bet <clears throat> there was some situation on set to force them to shoot at night with just him. Uh, in our movie Tango Down, we had access to a police station, the side conference room, but we couldn't have a ton of people in there and only for like two hours. So we had to shoot very tight and work around that stuff. So I bet there's a lot of things like that that dictate choices in movies. That's just one of the reasons I wanted to make a movie, actually, to get that raw deal of what really happens on set and how real choices are made. It was a real eye-opener. And I think that a lot of choices are made in Hollywood that you'll never even realize when you were watching the film. Uh, in short, to me, not everything, not every choice in a movie means something. There are actual real-life limitations to creative choices. In other words, money. So the Canadian praised the actors, uh, even Karpov, who has a weird relationship with Jess. Jeff, you said. Um, you didn't like Karpov, though. The Brit didn't like Karpov. He does, you, you do praise the mother for speaking actual Russian. Okay, these are actors that, you know, they, they're, they're, doing, they're doing solid work, I think. They're not like, uh, they're not like, um, You know they're not they're not going to be nominated for any Oscars or anything like that. They're not going to be nominated for any Oscars or anything like that anytime soon. But they are believable as his parents, especially the scene with the fish. To me, when she cuts her hand with the knife and everything, that's a really powerful scene because it's the, you know like in in classic movie kind of haunted house themes if you will when the blood is spilled right that's the first time the blood is spilled from his family where his family's the blood is on her hands like the blood is literally on her hands and I, I do like that she actually spoke russian but i wouldn't know if that was russian or anything when i was you know 14 years old so whatever uh you have you mentioned the canadian mentioned the uh, the thing with the canadian uh, i'm sorry with the classic trope for the 80s movies the alien parents again you really need to watch Running on Empty. I, I can't stress that enough. Uh, then you mentioned something about Star Trek. So I, I don't know enough about Star Trek to, to care. But uh, the Brit goes on about Quentin Tarantino and the feet thing. To me, I felt that the flip-flop thing was to show that he was casual and unassuming. I'm not sure about that choice. I'm sure, it was, but it was definitely choice. It was in, intentional. I don't know. Maybe that's a, a thing with, with Richard uh, Benjamin that he wants to put feet in his movie. I have no idea. Uh, the Canadian, you say that scuba is not serious and that the SeaWorld death was goofy. So I totally disagree. I think that it was meant to be a world's colliding thing. Like it's a wholesome place, like Jeff's family is wholesome, but it's torn apart by the choices of his parents, like the sins of his fathers. I think it's, you know, one of those, oh, it's a nice peaceful day at SeaWorld and oh, crap. Well, you know, um, Flipper just found a, a floater. Flipper found a floater. Let's, uh, whatever. I, I didn't think it was goofy or cheesy. I mean, hell, again, when I was 14 years old, I was like, oh, damn, people can get killed at SeaWorld? That sucks. The armbar. All right. <laughs> Let's just come out and say it. Poitier is not an action star. 
he's more believable than to me than born right he's laughably lucky to the point of magic which is why i hate those dumb movies so talk about goofy to me it's way more goofy to have somebody who's like a just you know prescient ninja who just knows every single move somebody's about to make as opposed to a guy again let's dissect this final fight scuba's been shot in that arm it's all but useless he's barely able to use it to climb over the railing on the ship and then he's kind of spent so Roy is able to disable and disarm him, and then we are deliberately not shown what happens to him so that we can see he wasn't arrested or killed. So we don't know what's you know what happened. So again, this is his operation alone, and his boss made that clear. He's not getting any support. So, so for me, that was the biggest, what we used to call, my, my friend uh, coined this term, UBBS, unbelievable bullshit. So for me, that was the biggest UBBS moment of the movie. It was unbelievable that that you know he would be on this investigation alone without the support of anybody at the FBI. It's laughable. Uh, but again, that was an 80s trope, the whole lone wolf thing. So it's also a lot cheaper budget-wise, right? And arm bars are part of line training at Quantico at the time. You can Google that. Uh, wrist locks, too, were a big thing. It's called line training. So you mentioned the $200,000 amount. That's classic spy stuff. Ask for an amount that's realistic, not painful, and you're likely to get it. The KGB paid people off all the time. Scuba would know the perfect amount to request for me. That's what I think. Plus, he didn't strike me as a guy who needed much. Tattered clothes, flip-flops, a kind of beach bum assassin could make $200,000 go a long way in 1988. I didn't even catch that that was makeup on that guy. I just thought he was just a leathery guy. Um... I thought it was interesting that you didn't recognize Karpov as Mike, who was the corrupt police chief in The Untouchables, who warns Connery's character. I mean, it's a small part, but he's a very recognizable actor to me. So the Brit says, when you watch this twice, yeah, I can feel that. Watching the same movie back-to-back -back can be grueling, but this wasn't a boring movie, at least. Um, Canadian, you mentioned that, do you like Girls' Son? So, <laughs> yeah, that again, this is 1988. I get a little bit more into that. But for the love of God, drop the FBI thing versus the Air Force thing. You guys mentioned that so many times. So, again, he was probably just undercover, not an actual Air Force officer. Or maybe he was, but it's not interesting. I mean, he had a Marine corporal at the base. You don't mention that at all. I mean, you do mention her, but not about that. So if he were going over, he'd be doing the interview as FBI. But he doesn't want to play his hand that he's FBI yet. So he doesn't know if Jeff knows anything about his parents. That's why he does all that, you know, the, the different languages and, and when he's testing him. So I didn't get homophobe vibes here. They showed men appreciating women, and the sexuality question would have come up in 1988. It just would have. It was part of the process then. I didn't think it was overemphasized or underemphasized. I think it was just, you know... This, it was funny, though, the whole, okay, the whole I love girls in general line was, I think, Roy trying to get him to slip up. It's like the psych questionnaire that exists now in the military. Do you like your mother? Do you love your mother? Do you love your mother? Wait, why did they ask that twice? It's like, <clears throat> it's like in The Great Escape, the scene, good luck. That, they're trying to make him slip up, right, and, and admit that he might be in the guise or whatever. D don't ask me. I didn't make the rules in the 80s. So Corporal Hogan, 
those WMs definitely existed. And back in those days, you'd not only see her, you'd smell her as soon as she got on deck. And her service Charlie's, she'd be wearing perfume and makeup. So that's not anything out of the ordinary. Again, these are kind of nuanced things that I don't think you would get unless you've been in the military. So I don't know. It's been a long time since I've been in, but I, I, I don't know if I think those are service Charlie's. But a lot of WMs, uh, women Marines, as we call them, they wore makeup in their utilities, their camis. So I just chuck this scene up to 80s boys will be boys and move on. And yes, it was, again, it was part of the test because he wanted to make Jeff uneasy about something. See how he reacts. Everything is a test when the FBI is speaking to you. I mean, everything. So you can't watch an 80s film and expect it to hold up to 2021 20, social morays. I'm just sorry, you can't. Especially considering nothing is taboo anymore. Like, do, to me, do define taboo for me these days. Being gay isn't the issue for the security clearance. It's because it was taboo, forbidden. I mean... What is like, what's like that now? Short of the obvious, you know, like kid garbage. Um, I don't know. So, yes, I agree with you. Karpov is grooming him a bit. And again, we needed to not know his intentions. We need Karpov to be this mysterious figure, right? Because it isn't until the end when he says, oh, Russians do not shoot their children, that it's like, yeah, okay, he's not a total scumbag. Well, you don't know that. If you knew that right away, you wouldn't be there would be no tension. <laughs> so it's not it's that it's creepy. It's that it, it's creepy, but not creepy in the way that you're mentioning, I, I don't think. Okay, I have a major issue here. Again, you like what you like, I like what I like, and you're whatever, allowed to like what you don't like, and I'm allowed to like what I don't like, etc., etc. But I was surprised that the Brit didn't like the scoring. Uh, you thought that it was like a horror film, cheesy? I didn't get that at all. I thought it was brilliant watching the ballet versus the discovery and the kind of theme music in certain scenes when you see the the ballet scene juxtaposed to Jeff finding the, you know, the passports and the, the rounds from Stalin, uh, Stalingrad. Yeah. And I agree. American patriotism doesn't carry over to other nations. Go figure. You know, you didn't have that red scare. I don't know. Maybe you guys did have the red scare and canada and england i don't know and again it this would have been terrible as a comedy if you, you want a coming of age story watch running on empty running on empty running on empty i can't emphasize it enough you really should it's nothing about spies but you should definitely watch the movie and again i think they didn't try to make it a serious movie or a comedy they tried to ground it in as much reality as they could life isn't one thing it's it's not a comedy or a tragedy, but a blend. And to make it only one thing, one trick, or one tone would have made it not believable to a certain degree necessary to make the spy stuff remotely credible. Like his relationship with his parents. I really felt that that was a genuine relationship with his parents. And then it just completely falls apart. Like that whole, what is truth in this family? Like everything that he thought he believed was a lie. And it, it destroyed his reality, right? It destroyed his world. So that scene had to be done well. And, you know, having River Phoenix in it sure helps because anybody else might have really pooped the bed in there and made it, like you said, cheesy, teen, angsty garbage. I, I'm, I'm curious if Jeff Quest felt that the scuba stuff was cheesy and cartoonish because you guys keep coming back to that. I didn't. Uh, to me, I've seen that actor a lot in the 80s, and he's always played a bad guy, right? He's similar to that one guy with a creepy face in Magnum P.I. You, you know, with all the pox on him. I don't know his name. 
but he was always in like those 80s you know uh detective shows and stuff like that playing like a serial killer or monster or whatever the hell that's the way that the scuba actor is to me I do agree that there seems to be a movie within a movie that's missing from the story, but you have to appreciate, again, the tight 90-ish minute runtime. They tried to stay as focused as they could. Uh, the Brit didn't like the Canadian... The, the Brit didn't like the ending. The Canadian kind of did. It's funny to me, though. With all the, the criticism that you give the movie, nobody mentioned the whole trolley numbers fiasco. The continuity really screwed up. When he's on the trolley, there's like four different trolley numbers that I counted. And, you know, in the B-roll, it's obvious B-roll. So I was like, ugh, okay. So I agree with the Canadian that little Nikita did the ballet scene better than Quantum Solace. It's been a while since I've seen Quantum Solace, but I do remember little Nikita, the ballet scene, was, was, was handled perfectly to me because... It's again one of these tropes, right? In spy movies, you have to have like a ballet. They in this movie they have a, a parade, a ballet. Um, they have like the dead drops. They have all the you know all the good stuff. Um, I really don't know what makes your knock list. When I see that you have the laughably terrible Hannah, and you have Spy Kids on there, I've seen Hannah. I've never seen Spy Kids, but to know that Hannah made your knock list. Uh, wow. So to me, little Nikita had enough spy craft and intrigue to keep me excited at 14. You had the dead fish, dead drop. You had the spy exchange, sort of. Um, you had border crossings, murders, shootouts, TNA, technology. Again, yes, for 1988, FBI, anyway. Uh, you had the cat and mouse, and you had revenge elements, you know. So end of the day, it was compelling enough that it bred the Americans and Black Widow. And is a great complementary piece to Running on Empty. A very serious, unfunny movie all about teen angst and learning about parents of the past. I mentioned that a hundred times now. It's if you want to watch a drama, watch that. So I didn't think your podcast was dead, 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 dead on arrival. And I always say what I love, others might loathe, and vice versa. But I just felt that a lot of why you didn't like this movie had to do with looking at it under a modern more more and not contextually or patriotically. So I just wanted to opine and hopefully shed some light that not everybody would have seen, again, Scuba as goofy. People wouldn't have, like, worried about, like, you know, um, the female corporal having perfume and makeup and everything like that. Um, just little things like that that I feel like were, were lost in translation, if you will, because you are not a 14-year-old American boy who loves Red Dawn. Uh, so that is all I have to say about that. I hope that you enjoyed the show. Um, again, I would like to apologize to Cam Smith and Scott Hardy, uh, who I referred to as the Brit or the Canadian throughout the show, but that's because that's what I had in my notes and I wanted to actually get this out. I've been working on it for a while. First, I wanted to actually get the Blu-ray of Little Nikita because I, I do own it, but I own it on VHS and my VHS player is pretty much just collecting dust at this point. Um, I was going to rent it for $3 on Roku or Prime or one of those. So you could either rent it 
for three dollars, or you could buy it for thirteen dollars. I don't like to buy digital um, media. I like to to own you know hard copy media because that way I have it and I can watch it whenever I want, and I don't feel like I have to like worry about the internet being on and all that other crap. So if it's a good good enough movie, I want to own it. So I I found that on Amazon Prime for like fourteen bucks. Actually, no, it was cheaper. I take that back. It was 12 bucks. So it was actually cheaper after tax, and uh, I don't have to pay for shipping. So anyway, that's why I took a little time to get this out. So anytime I refer to the Canadian, that is Cam Smith, who looks like he belongs in a Degrassi senior high or maybe Degrassi junior college. If they have junior college in Canada, he looks like uh, like that would be his role. Like he could definitely be in Degrassi. Uh, Scott Hardy is the Brit, and he looks like Floki from Vikings. Like I, I, every time I look at his picture, that's all I see is Floki. So I don't know if he's a handy boat maker in real life or anything like that. Um, it might help living on an island, I guess. But so I do apologize to them, but I didn't want to mess up the flow of my notes and you know try to keep interjecting. So Canadian, that's Cam Smith. The Brit, that's Scott Hardy. And I highly suggest that you check out their podcast. It's really entertaining. Um, you do learn a lot of interesting stuff about different spy movies. They've done some great interviews. Again, my favorite that I've listened to so far has been Argo, which was really good. Um, it definitely deserves to be on the knock list. Whatever, again, the knock list is, uh, Argo needs to be up there. And it is. So they have some credibility. I'll give them that. Um, and you can check out their knock list, by the way, on Letterboxd. You can follow them uh, over there. And that uh, is one of their lists. Give me just a second. So they're Spy Hards on Letterboxd. And you go to their little lists. And they have four lists. They have the Disavowed list, the Knock Access Denied, the Spy Films Declassified, and then the Knock list. The Disavowed list, by the way, is the one that they, they say that's the official Spy Hards Hall of Shame, dishonoring the worst of the genre. Thankfully, they didn't put Little Nikita there, or the tone of my rebuttal might have been a lot harsher. Um, so, yeah. The knock list uh, does have 22 films right now. So, And they've been doing a lot of, you know, there are like 100, I think, uh, there are like 95 episodes or something like that right now. So definitely a lot of good content out there. And I do hope that they will take this with a little bit of tongue-in-cheek and know that for me to do something like this means that I must care a little bit, right? Um, so I do appreciate, and I've, I've been on the, the end of, uh, both the, you know, the, the content creator and the content appreciator. And, uh, it, it's not an easy thing all the time. So to put yourself out there for criticism and opinions, like some wacky, like me spending a lot of time just to re re respond and, uh, offer a rebuttal to your show, it takes guts. So appreciate what they're doing and i hope that they appreciate what i did here and find it a little bit entertaining and amusing and uh that's all i gotta say i'll catch you guys later